In the world today, mental health is an issue which thankfully more and more people are becoming aware of and comfortable speaking about. When choosing a professional to help you, what kind of service would you be looking for? At Lonvara, when asked to describe Mel Purcell's service, clients described it as real, compassionate, empowering, friendly, welcoming, inner strength building, a positive, safe, supportive environment, and she was described by one source as an absolute legend who enables change with love. Mel offers clinical counselling, hypnotherapy and a professional service which is tailored to the individual. She has a personal approach and makes sure each client's experience is authentic to their needs while also ensuring full confidentiality. Winner of the 2022 Australian Allied Health Awards for Rural and Remote Excellence, you can self-refer or through your GP mental health care plan. Lonvara, believing in you. On this week's show, a young lady who grew up jumping hay bales in her gumboots in the small town of Elliot and progressed to be one of the greatest track athletes Tasmania's ever produced, Morgan Gaffney. It was great to sit down and have a chat to an elite athlete like Morgan and just listening to the sacrifices and just the challenges that they have. Well, firstly, getting to the top and then actually staying there is um, yeah something a lot of people can take a lot of learnings out of and the mindset that they have is phenomenal. But like most people who come on the pod, she hasn't always had it her own way. Um, we talk about challenges, uh, some big challenges that she faced along the journey. Um, most notably, um, her mother's illness, um, which led to, unfortunately, her mother passing away in 2021. So we talk about that time and the toll that it took on her and her family family, um, how they supported each other through it, um, and how she continued racing through it, um, culminating in winning the Devonport gift as a bit of a tribute to her mum, which is a pretty touching story. Morgan talks about the athletic environment and uh, good and bad environments that she's been in and certain challenges that she's had, and also how important a positive training environment is to an athlete to, uh, to getting the best out of yourself and your team. I timed this pretty well, actually, just after Morgan had announced her retirement. We spoke about uh, what life's going to look like after athletics, the challenges that she's going to have, and uh, the most exciting part is uh, having a baby. And we talk about motherhood and uh, how she's looking forward to that and what kind of mum she reckons that she'll be. Hope you enjoy. G'day, everybody. Welcome back to the Talk Art Podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Briley. I'm Connie. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I get a phone call basically saying, Dad's not it. This sit-down lawnmower is like about three metres long. By the time I was finished with it, was about half a metre. A fully grown man sleeping with the light on. Shit, scared. He's come out my car with an angle grinder before. Just, yeah, it's just such an important thing for so many people. And I thought, holy shit, I'm going to get delisted next <laughs> tomorrow. Like, that's going to put a line through me. So that's why checking in on your mate or your son or your daughter or your player or your coach or whoever it is you become the side i just let him know that you know it's tough but we're tougher and he just wrapped those big arms he got around me just said mate like we'll work through this together like oh, i absolutely love you the talk art podcast with brendan Hinkson. morgan gaffney welcome to the talk hard podcast thank you for having me my pleasure how's retirement Ha. <sighs> been a long week so far. No, I've still been tracking and gymming, so Have you? Nothing's changed. I've just dropped the competition aspect of my life. <laughs> so you've only half retired. Yeah. <laughs> Got one foot in the door, one foot yeah, out the door absolutely. sort of thing. Yeah. And despite what people will think when they listen listen to this, I haven't um, just jumped on the, the bandwagon of media review over the last week. We actually spoke a few weeks ago, didn't we, before you announced that you were going to retire. So yes, I wanted I to get confirm. you on for quite a while. I can confirm. Yeah, I'm not just riding on your coattails <laughs> now. But um, yeah, it is um, it is a really good time to get you on because um, over the next month, few months, you're going to be pretty flat out um, cooking another young person, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. We are really excited. I'd sort of decided that this year was probably going to be my last year racing. Yep. So Bo and I were, we 
decided to try and start a family. Uh, we were pretty lucky it happened quite quickly for us. Yep. And yeah, here I am, 15 weeks pregnant and yep. um, with a little girl and absolutely loving it. Excellent. Mm. Yeah, we've well, had a few challenges sort of through your athletics and stuff. We've probably got a lot, lot more coming up and a lot of learnings coming yes. up over the next few years. And a whole different world. It will be. <laughs> It'll be fun though. It'll be the best thing you ever did. Yeah, everybody keeps telling me that, so um, I'm very excited. Awesome. So we're going to get into your story, and obviously when I speak to someone or I get somebody to come on the pod, I usually get them to send me a little bit of a brief. Now, yours was massive as far as all of your um, awards and um, your records and accolades and things like that, so I did joke to you that we could do a two-parter. We could actually (laughs) do one just talking about the athletics and one about life, but we're going to try and condense it down as much as we can. Yeah. Um, Like I say, there's so many on there, we probably it would take us a couple of hours to go through each one individually but there are a couple of them that I'm going to ask you about as we go through but yeah. we'll go back to the start firstly so you grew up in a town called Elliot mm-hmm. now I had to google where <laughs> Elliot was do you get that often Did not a lot of people um, know where that is yeah a bit then but then you say it's near Yola and they're like oh yeah 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 so I grew up on a 50 acre farm there with my mum my dad and my two sisters and I had the absolute best childhood I'd go to school in my Blunstons. I'd wow. run um, the athletics carnivals in my gumboots. Like yep. we jumped hay bales instead of hurdles. Yep. So I went there till I was in grade six. Yep. And then I moved to Marist Regional College. Yep. So you were running in gumboots back in the day. Did, yeah. that sort of, did you reckon that um, built your calves and your quads oh, up for absolutely. later on in your running I mean, career? If you, have you ever tried to run in gumboots? Yes, I was going to say, it's not real good. Hard. And if you're jumping hay bales in them too, I reckon that's a bit of a struggle. But when you're young, you're like elastic, so you don't pull yeah, any muscles don't, or anything. You don't care. You don't think about it. You'd, I'd rather wear gumboots in my sandshoes when I was a young girl. I just put them on to go around the farm. Yeah. So, yeah. Why not? And so what what sort of kid were you? Like, what was your childhood like on a farm? I reckon it was pretty adventurous, was it? You sort of got into a bit of mischief, did you? Yeah, yeah, look, um, my younger sister and I are two peas in a pod. So with that comes World War Three yep. and WWE wrestling matches <laughs> at home, and we would go hard. Yep. So we um, grew up beating each other up. Yep. Um, now we're as close as ever, and I love her to death, and... But we were really lucky. Like, we had absolute freedom on that farm. I rode around on my imaginary horse, Black Beauty, from one end of the farm to the other. So we were really active kids. And You say imaginary horse. It was, were you, like, on a bike or were you, like, oh, no. walking on pretending no, you were on a horse? No, I was uh, galloping, like, in my gumboots, oh, pretending right. that I was on a horse. <laughs> so your parents didn't actually give you a horse? Oh, or? no, we got one eventually. Yeah. Um, And then my sister, who was leading me on it, touched the electric fence and the horse got a shock and bucked me off. So that was the end of apples. (laughs) She went back to the farm she came from. (laughs) So you say like when you you did your your running and that sort of stuff when you were little, were you really sporty? Were you into like a few different sports and things? Yeah, essentially I just followed my older sister around. Yep. So whatever she tried, I tried. So netball, dancing, basketball little athletics I followed Lane along and then my little other little sister Taylor well my only little sister sorry Taylor would follow in suit so uh Lane was a really good dancer danced all the way up till she was oh, in her teens um me not so much I'm yep. actually really uncoordinated yeah so any ball sport I'm not very good at at all <laughs> um I behaved basketball up until under 21s or 22 sorry and then um I 
fully focused on athletics. Yep. Mm. So at what point did running become a passion that you did sort of start to think, well, hang on, I'm, I'm uncoordinated everything else, <laughs> so I'll have a go at this. When did that sort of come in? Mum took me to my first running coach when I was 14. Yep. And I'd finished little athletics and she took me down and I started training twice a week. Yep. And that was it. I didn't do gym. I didn't do anything. It was just these two track sessions a week and I thought that was enough. Yeah. That was fine. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 15 or 16, I think I started doing three sessions a week. And I, I always really loved athletics and I really enjoyed doing it. But it wasn't probably until I was at least 21 that I sort of started really taking it more serious and dedicating a lot more of my time to it. Yeah. So I was a bit of a late bloomer, uh, but through athletics, up until I was about 10 or 11, I was not good at all. Yeah. I would come last. I couldn't throw. I couldn't jump. Couldn't do any of it, but I just loved it. Yeah. So I just kept going. What did you love about it? Can you put your finger on it? Well, I look back now and, and my, I have a very strong personality, so I think it might have just been that you're out there on your own in athletics. It's a very individual sport. Yep. You have a squad environment, but at the end of the day, it's on you if you run bad. It's on you if you throw bad, and, and I really enjoy that side of it because yep. I don't have anyone else to blame yep. per se. If things go wrong, it's on me. Isn't that interesting? It must be a personality thing because I'm, I'm completely different. I don't like sports where I'm on my own. I get too angry like tennis, yeah. golf, anything <laughs> like that. I need someone else to blame. So yep. I've got to be in a team where I can yep. yell at someone else. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it takes a certain, I, I think it takes a stronger personality to just have all the pressure on you. Like even, you know, we're watching the Australian Open at the moment, you know, yep. these tennis players that are, you know, it's, it's just them, all the spotlights on them. And if they're yeah. crumbling under the pressure, they're the only ones that are going to cop the consequences of yeah, it. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. But you actually thrived under oh, those it. conditions. Yeah, yep. I really do. And you say that you, you didn't um, bloom and really sort of start to progress till you were 21, but your state titles when you were 17, you came second in the 100 metres. Yeah. That's not bad for someone no. that was half arse in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I did, have, I did have a bit of talent. Yep. A bit of raw talent. It just needed a bit of fine-tuning. Yep. And you still yeah. had a coach at that? Or sorry, you had a coach yes, at that stage? Yes, yes. So I've had a coach ever since I was 14. Yep, yeah. yep. And and so what was the experience like at, at a young age? Did you sort of expect to go well in the 100 metres, did you? Or? Not really. The older I got, the more aware of the pressure and the stakes that I became. So yep. when I was running at 17, it was go out, run, you love it, have fun, enjoy it. When I was 26 or 27, it was you have been performing really well for a long time now. All eyes are on you. The pressure's there. I knew the stakes of winning and losing, but I love that side of it. So I thrived in it as anyway, but you do become a lot more aware of where you are. So it does take a little bit of the, that childhood enjoyment out of it, but because I loved it so much, it it was really irrelevant to me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things. You want to be successful in what you're doing, but with that success, sometimes comes a little bit of pressure and expectation. Oh, doesn't absolutely. It? Did you absolutely. find were you very hard on yourself, or was it more sort of external pressure that you felt? Or uh, I am quite hard on myself because I just expect the best out of myself. Yep. Um, Is that in everything or just athletics? Yeah, 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 in everything I do, and. and I actually, it's it's a fault of mine because I can't understand why other people don't put 110% in if they don't want to. So yep. that's 
something I need to take a step back at and say, hey, not everybody is a crazy person like you are. <laughs> not everybody wants to yep. train themselves into the ground and throw up after a session. Yeah. And and that's okay. Like it, that's um, that's completely okay. So. So how hard did you train? You were basically driving yourself into the ground. Yeah, were you? I trained hard. Yep. Um, but I had to learn to train hard as well. It wasn't. I didn't just wake up, go to training, and train hard. It was something that I developed over a few years, and and it'd be just one more rep, or just a little bit quicker, or. Like the pain that you feel when you're training and you get home after a really hard session and you just get that, you, you're really proud of yourself for making it through that session. Yep. Um, but I am a spewer, so I threw up a lot. Yep. Um, yeah, I was really concerned about my teeth there for a while just because I would run myself into the ground and and be sick. Um, but I had a really good squad and, and we really pushed each other to get the best out of one another. Yep. And do you find that, like, if you are in a good squad, it, it makes you improve as well because you, you're pushing each other? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, my best friend, Abby Chapman, has run with me for a while now and she's a very, very good tempo runner and I'm shocking. So I would base my reps off, off her and, and we're, we're quite similar in pace. So. Yep. We would get competitive and race, yep. and but I, it was really good for me to run off her, because my tempo and I wasn't um, being tight and restricting myself because she ran so well, it was easy to to gauge myself off her. Yeah, excellent. Well, obviously, whatever training you were doing was working, because like I said, to to go through all of your um, state titles and things would probably take us a, a couple of hours. But you were pretty well unbeatable from about two thousand and ten to two thousand twenty-two, in the hundred and two hundred. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I hate admitting that, but yeah, I had a couple of years. <laughs> Don't be modest now, no. Morgan. Don't worry, no one listens to this anyway. So. Um, I had a couple of years where I ran a few seconds um, and I didn't even medal in one year in, in the 200, um, but I wouldn't change those years for the world yep. because that... Was that early on or was that sort of... Yeah, that was early on. Um, I'd won a couple and then for three years in a row I, I got beaten by yep. a couple of different girls yep. and that was probably really the driving force for me to train harder and to train like I was always second best. Yeah. And I was always trying to chase someone. I was always trying to hunt someone down. And that's just how I trained for the rest yep. of my career. Yep. And what did you put it down to, those like those down years when you weren't sort of winning? Was there anything in particular or just the competition was um, starting to train hard and you yeah, probably weren't training as hard? Yeah, I was changing the way I was training. So I was training a lot harder and doing a lot more sessions. So my body broke down a couple of times and it, it couldn't handle what I was doing at that time. But it set me up for the later years. This episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design. If you're like me and normally need to get these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. Located at 6 Bay Drive, Koiba, come in and have a browse of their colour selection studio or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can contact Sam on 0429 291 008 or email sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fear stressing down from the better half. 
with your um your Bernie gifts and Devonport mm. gifts, you won your first Bernie gift in two thousand and eleven. Like how big an mm. event was that for you? At the time, um, I think I was only just eighteen, maybe when I won that, or nineteen. So I was quite young, immature. Yeah. Just thought it had come. Yep. Like didn't actually realise how hard they are to win. Yep. Had a bit um, of strut about you, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have a strut. Don't you worry. <laughs> like, people can pick me from my walk out on the athletics track. Yep. It's pretty bad. <laughs> so you mean, like, they can pick if you know that you're going to win or whether no, you're a bit No, no. They or... just pick me from the way I strut. Oh, they can pick yeah, you yeah. out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so when I won my first one, I was off a pretty good mark for what I was running. Um, yeah, I don't think I really understood just the significance of winning just one on yep. its own. Yep. So yeah. how did you sort of feel afterwards then? Was it just something you just thought, oh, well, this will probably happen again next year? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really excited. Like, I had a really good squad at that time as well. Yep. Um, so I was really, like, you, you get really excited to win it and, and everything, but I probably wasn't aware of the history and, and everything that and what goes into the carnivals because I was pretty fresh on the scene in the carnival sense. So... I probably didn't, yeah. I underestimated the significance of it. Yeah. Mm. And what what's your race prep like sort of going into something like that? Obviously, it'll probably change a little bit as you, as you got older, but like the day leading up to a race like that, is there anything in particular that you do or I eat? I clean. Or... Right. I clean my house. Yep. That's a superstition thing, is it? Oh, it, yeah. It relaxes me. Yep. If I know everything's in order, I'm okay. Yep. Um, but yeah, usually I clean a lot. I always had a coffee and a muffin. Yep. For no other reason than I like coffee and muffins, but yep. I felt like that's all I could keep down and it's all that um, made me feel okay. Yep. But, yeah, I, I clean like a mad woman. Yep. Well, obviously, whatever you do works because you won it again. Like you say, you thought that it had just happened again and it did happen again a, mm. a number of times, 2013, 17, and 19. Yes. Um, are you the only four-time winner of the yes. Bernie gift? Yep. Yeah, in the men's and the women's. Yep. Yep. Do, you, do you grasp the significance of that? I said after I won my fourth, I said I feel like I'm living somebody else's life. Yep. Because if you had told me at 16 that I would win four burning gifts, I'd be like, nah. Yep. But if you had introduced me to someone at 16 that won four burning gifts, probably would have wet my pants. Yep. Um, it's, I don't talk about it a lot because I don't like to talk about my accolades, um, but it is really special to me and the significance of the Bernie Carnival isn't lost on me. So it's really cool. Like, I think it's really cool and I hope it's something someday that my daughter appreciates, yep. um, whether she likes sport or not. But yeah, it, it, I just I can I feel like I'm living somebody else's life. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I'm sure your daughter will be proud of it later on. And that's Fingers for sure. Crossed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and is um again, this is my lack of athletic knowledge coming out. Is Bernie like the most prestigious one in Tasmania, yes. or are there ones that yep. sort of have? Yep. Yeah, so Bernie's is. the one that you yep. really put at the top yeah, of your bucket list. Yeah, a lot of list. mainlanders come down for Bernie too. Yep. So it's pretty prestigious around yep. the country. Um, obviously not as big as Stall, and there's a couple in Victoria that are in South Australia that are quite big now. But, yeah, Bernie's just got such a rich, rich history. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Stall Gift too. Have you run in that one before or have you had an opportunity to? Or? No. I I always had the choice every year to run Stall or to run Nationals yep. um, because you had to pay your own way to go to both. Um, I just always picked to go to Nationals. Yep. Mm. Yep. And you had a pretty good record at Nationals as well though, didn't you? Yeah, made a lot of semifinals, made a 200-metre uh national final yep. and was 
I was always just just round about the 100 but never really quite cracked it. The year that I thought I could go and run really well was COVID. Um, I finished top five in the country that year for the 100 metres. Um, so that was disappointing. But, I mean, the, the world shut down. I mean, I can't cry mm. over it. A lost chance at a, a national final. Yeah, sometimes it's time and place, isn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely. just a really shitty absolutely. time for a lot of people yeah. around that time as well. So in 2017, obviously you won your first Devonport gift, but you also mm. made the Oceana Games. Yes. Yeah. So what yeah. was that experience like? Really cool. Yeah. Uh, it was really awesome to put on the green and gold. There's not really a feeling like it. Um, so my whole, my, my sorry, my mum, my dad, my auntie, my uncle, and my nan and pop all travelled across to Fiji. Yep. And it was just really cool. Just, yeah, I've never really reflected on it because I just, I went from thing, like event to event to event in my career and I just sort of haven't had that time to digest everything that yeah. I did. Um, but we won gold for Australia in the 4 by one relay, and that was really cool to be a part of. Yep, excellent. Mm. Yeah, well, you probably yeah, you always had something sort of coming up, so rather than reflecting on what you'd achieved, it was always, right, we're on to the next yeah, thing now. Yeah, yeah, so I got home from Fiji, right, it was time to get a half a winter in to start the next season to hopefully run faster. Yep. Um, I was going to ask you, so obviously representing Australia, were, were the Olympics or Commonwealth Games or anything like that ever close? or? Uh... Maybe. Are they picked from the national titles, are they? Is yeah, that, so yeah. The, the national event is always um, the trials for the Com Games and the yep. Olympics. Um, I wasn't running fast enough in 2018 when they were on the Gold Coast. wasn't running fast enough last year. Um, I did make a the 4 by 100 metre Australian squad leading into the Olympic year. Yep. So I was in the squad of eight and it was going to be cut down to about six. Whether I would have made that six... I don't know, and I'm not going to sit here and, and guess. Yeah. Uh, but I did get that opportunity, and, and unfortunately, the Olympics were, were shifted, and then um, by the time they came back around, Mum was unwell, so it yep. just wasn't the right time for me. Yep, yep. And um, so tell us about, like, a typical week for you as, as an athlete, so obviously with your training and things like that. So what goes into, like, a, a week for an elite, elite athlete? Um. Thank you for calling me elite. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to because you won't. So, <laughs> um, so I work full time uh, Monday to Friday, yep. and so I would fit in my schedule for track sessions and a competition day in yep. through summer, with two to three gym sessions on top of that. Through winter, it was probably four track sessions, three gym sessions, um, and a couple of recovery days and rest days and. Um, bit of Pilates with Ali at Hudson Pilates in there. Yep. Um, give her a plug. She's great. Yeah, yeah. I love her. Um, yeah, so that was what my week looked like. But it, I never really sat down and thought, gosh, I train a lot. Or gosh, I spend a lot of time at the track or in the gym because I just loved it. Yep. And it was just, I'm really lucky that Bo is so supportive. And I could get home at 8.30, 9 o'clock and, and he wouldn't be like, where were you? It was, had your session go? How do you feel? Do you need anything? Yeah. Um, so come to 2020, like a lot of people um, might not know this about your story, but that was when your mum started to, to get ill, wasn't it? Yeah. So she, had she not been well sort of leading up to that time? or No. Um, my mum never had a cold in her life. 
She had a sore back for a couple of months, um, but she thought it was from lifting my older sister's young boy. Yep. So she was actually getting tests and just sort of hadn't told us girls about it because she didn't want to worry us as mums don't. Um, but I remember this day like it was yesterday. I was walking my dogs um, with Bo and I had not said to him five minutes before. I said, oh, I haven't heard from Dad this week. Like, that's really strange. I'd spoken to mum the night before and my phone rang and it was dad and I answered the phone. I was like, oh, dad, I was just talking about you and he just said morgues and as soon as he said my name, I knew, I knew something really bad had happened and my mind went straight to one of his parents had passed away and he said, it's your mum and I said, I beg your pardon? He was like, it's, it's your mum. She's being airlifted to Hobart Hospital. And I just, excuse my friend, I just went, what, what the fuck? What do you mean? And he's like, they think she's got cancer. And I just fell apart in the street. Bo had to carry me home, had to wrestle our two dogs home. And I got inside and I just sat on the floor and I just cried and cried and screamed and... and and that was, yeah, that was how I found out that my mum was sick. Yeah. So it was basically the shock of it because she'd protected you from it. You didn't even know that had she was no idea going that she bad. Was even had a sore, but if she had said to me, I've got a sore back, I would have said, go to a physio. Yeah. Like, because in your head, you don't think stage four pancreatic cancer. Yeah. You just don't think that. Yep. So um, her bowel had, had essentially burst. Um, so she lost a lot of blood internally. Um, so without blood transfusion she would have actually died that friday night yeah so everyone get out there and donate blood please yep. um because yep. you just don't know who or if you know who it might save mm. um so she got airlifted down to hobart and we spent a week down there just praying that she was going to be okay and it was a week later that she got the diagnosis and it was just the worst week of my life yeah mm. What was um like the treatment and the the prognosis for her? Like, did the doctor sort of give you a bit of an indication of? Not really. Yeah. Um, don't ever Google stage four pancreatic oh, cancer God, if yeah. you know someone Dr. that's Google. got it. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Google. Uh, so initially, they said anywhere from four weeks to how bad it was. There's like a one percent chance that you can get more than a year, or you get to five years. And me being absolutely stubborn and, and straight into denial, I was like to mum, well, why not us? Why can't we be that 1% that gets five years out of this? Um, and it was probably a bit naive and I was just hoping that she would be okay because she's, she's my mum. Yeah, like, she's an iron woman. Yeah, 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 like she's never been sick. So um, that's where my mind was. Um, she... Every time she had chemo, something would go wrong. Uh, so she spent my last birthday in hospital uh, with a massive um, surgery to connect her stomach and all the other inner organs because they just weren't working properly on their own. Um, and it was it was just... She, she had 10 good days in six months. Yeah. And the rest, she was quite unwell. Yeah. Was it... And uh, I don't know whether you want to answer this or not, but was there anything that 
that um, could have been picked up earlier or that could have been Not done differently. So it's it's one that's sort of yeah. pretty well hidden, is it? Yeah. And because no... she was so tough, I suppose she yeah. was just thinking, I've yeah. just got to fall back. There's no um, early warning signs. Okay. And so from um, from the time that she flew down to the hospital, how, how long was she with you for, did you say? Six months. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she survived six months, two days from um, when she was airlifted down to Hobart. Yeah. And yeah. how did you guys as a family sort of support each other through that? Because obviously you knew that there was going to be a time when you'd, you'd have to say goodbye. Well, everybody else knew and I was in denial. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, my dad was awesome. Um, they were lucky enough to be in a position where dad could look after mum full time and yep. he did. And it was a really steep learning curve for us with all, all the drugs and, and everything. Um, my little sister's a nurse, but she lived in Hogart. So she was doing a lot of toing and froing, traveling, um, which was just another layer of just hard hardness for her, if that's even a word. Um, she did a really good job nursing mum. I'm really lucky in the fact that my best friend's a doctor she shielded me from a lot. Yep. Um, I remember having to tell her, and as soon as I said stage four pancreatic cancer, she knew. Um, thankfully for me, she didn't. She she listened to me without inputting the clinical side of, well, it's it's really bad. Um, and she was really helpful if there was something that I didn't understand. She would help me out with there. Um, but as a family, we were already really close anyway. Like, mum wasn't our mum anymore, which she transferred, like, did that transition, sorry, into being one of our friends. Yeah. So, I mean, you always go to your mum for mum stuff. But, um, yeah, she she would have been one of my best friends. And I know she was my sister's best friends as well. So, we were really lucky um, that we could lean on each other for support um my older sister was actually pregnant with her second child um so that was really tough on her trying to to protect this child and and also watching her mum slip away at the same time yeah and you say through that that six months like a lot of it you sort of spent in in denial Mm. was there a time can you remember the time when you realized that she probably wasn't going to beat it um yeah it was um it was honestly the last week of her life. Um, to me, she was always, she was just always, she had to be there. Like there was no, um, there was no way I was going to lose my mum. So she she actually become non-verbal on Friday, Good Friday. Um, and we lost her on Easter Sunday. Um, but the last thing she said to me was that she loved me. Um and that was the last thing I got to say to her. Yep. Mm. How important is that to you to know that they were the last things that you spoke to each other? Oh, really important. Um, I rem- and there was another time because I never spoke. We never spoke about her being sick, and I was adamant that I was never going to cry in front of her because I didn't want her to feel bad um, for being in this position that she obviously didn't want to be in. Um, knowing that, knowing that she was probably going to have to leave. Um, I went into her hospital room the week that she first fell ill and they were just still doing the biopsies and, and taking samples. And I was like, why can't we be that 1% that 
survive and and she said to me then she goes you were more like me than i ever realized yeah and that to me is what's resonated and what stayed with me um because i know she loved me yeah but after she died i i had to ask my dad if she did like i just completely you just completely lose your mind almost like yeah yeah i and i know she loved me but I had to ask a question. Yeah. Mm. It, it's an interesting time. And it, just to be self-indulgent a little bit, mm. we actually lost my dad about three weeks ago. My dad was never one that would say, you know, I love you or anything mm. like that. And he was, he wasn't ill as in he had, um, he had dementia. So okay. we knew yeah. that, you know, he was slowly going to sort of yeah. go downhill. But I sort of made a point of about three, four years ago to say, I love you to him every mm. time I left. Mm. And we'd never done that because, mm. you know, we're big, tough blokes and we don't yeah. do that sort of stuff. But I always thought... If I leave the house today and I don't say I love you to him yeah. and something happens overnight or whatever, I want that to be the last thing that I said to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're a big we're a big family of saying I love you, um, probably a lot more so now, um, especially to my extended family. Um, but it wasn't uncommon for us to say it all the time mm. anyway. Um, I, we were... we're I'm really lucky to have the family that I have. Yeah. Mm. And like you say, you know, just going back to, you know, if she did love you, like mm. my dad, again, he wasn't one that ever, would ever say, you know, I love you either, but he did when I started saying it to him until he also became sort of nonverbal towards the end as yep. well. He wasn't doing a, a lot of talking, but, you know, those last few moments and last times, they're pretty important, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and after they're gone, you think of all the things that you, you could have asked or you should have asked and... And there's silly things, but, like, even saying to my... Like, does she like me as a person? I know she loves me because I'm her daughter. Yep. But does she like me? And my, <laughs> and my my dad said to me once, he goes, Morgs, your mum hated sport, but she came to every single one of your running events and would sit there for six hours if she had to just yep. to see you run yep. for 15 seconds. Yep. And if that's not love, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> She'd push through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you that, whether she was a big, big support in your athletics career. So she was more Huge. of a support for you than athletics. Yeah, yeah. She um, she hardly ever missed a race. Yep. Um, as soon as I rang her to tell her I'd made the Australian team for Fiji, obviously, she was really excited. She rang me back within five minutes, I reckon, and said, your dad and I are coming. And that was that. Yep. Whether I wanted them there or not, they were coming. <laughs> well, and, Mum, I don't know if I want you to come. Yeah. But, yeah. And they'd booked to come um, with us. They stayed at the same hotel that I was at, which was really nice. Um, so they were a bit, really big part of that journey. But Mum came to every single carnival race. Um, she'd come to St- down to St. Helens. Her and Dad would make a weekend out of coming. Always came to watch state titles. Even over the couple of years I wasn't running as well it didn't matter to them they just wanted to come and, and make sure they knew I was in the stand uh, I knew they were in the stands um my mum wasn't a very loud person she was quite quiet but you get her at the side of that athletics track and there was times I said mum you've got to you're embarrassing me a little bit like <laughs> I can hear you from the track like yeah. just chill yeah. um and so I said to her like you just got to stop mum like you got to just relax and um <laughs> So that was the only the only time she ever yelled was was when I was racing. Yeah, yeah, just tone it back a little yeah. bit. Do you reckon it helped you at all? Or? Um, well, yes, yeah, so it's really hard. I I don't hear a lot of people when I run, but I can pick voices. So I always knew my mum's voice, um, my uncle Mikey, and my nan and my auntie Wolf whistles really well. Yep. So I can always pick them. Yep. Yeah, always. <laughs>
How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. Just the last sort of thing on you, Mum. After mm-hmm. after she passed, can you can you tell me about that time and whether that sort of affected your athletics and your running or, or life in general? Sort of, how did you, did you handle that time after she passed away? Um, it was really, really, really tough. Um, I, I usually sit at about 61, 62 kilos. I think I got down to 55, 56 kilos. Yep. I wasn't eating and it wasn't because I didn't want to. It was because I just wasn't hungry. Yeah. Um, your body was just having a bit of a response. Yeah, yep. um, yeah. I, I, I blocked. I blocked a lot of. I blocked a lot of my mum out of my mind, um, just because it was too hard to deal with, and it it affected me in every sense of the of my world. Um, it changed my perspective on life quite quickly. It, my athletics helped me to escape for the couple of hours a day um but I mean I still walk into mum and dad's house expecting her to be there um to this day and it's I still I used to call her every night on my way home from training so when I went back to training a couple of weeks after she passed away I would automatically go to rink her and I'm like oh I can't um so it was really hard and it still is really hard to adjust to a life without your mum like I can't ask her what I was like as a baby so I don't I'm not going to have any idea if if my little girl is going to be anything like I was because I like my dad had three girls we all mould into one little baby we all look the same we're all the same but Mums just know. Um, so it affects me daily now. Like you see um, the people just hanging out with their mums and it's just like, oh, I'd give anything, I'd give anything for that. Um, so I, I relaxed. My personality relaxed a lot. Um, so I was able to run freer because what used to be huge consequences or huge if I didn't run well, it was the end of the world. If I didn't run well, I was still crabby that I didn't run well, but it wouldn't keep me awake at night. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I I, I went through the worst thing that could happen to me. Yeah. Um, and running bad is is not the worst thing that can happen to one yep. person. So, um, it was yeah. It's it's a really hard adjustment period. Um, and my my body actually shut down. So I, naturopaths, doctors, um, I had to kickstart everything again. Um, 
just because it, it, it my mind shut down so my body shut down and that was really hard for me as well yeah mm. and so you say your mind and body shut down mm-hmm. so what were your days like i honestly don't remember much about the first month after yep. my mum passed away um i don't remember a lot from that time um and that's just the trauma from blocking blocking it out it was really strange like I went to my mum's funeral which was obviously really hard and we got home and it just you think you're gonna get like a like a sense of relief or a sense of closure but it's just nothing you just I just felt absolutely nothing I I don't I still don't react to situations how someone without trauma would react because I can't cope with it so I just don't I don't let it affect me and I, I can't take it on yeah because my body would and my mind would just open up all those feelings again that I've worked really hard to push down into a little black dark place <laughs> yeah. which is super healthy yeah you um, know you know there are um, a lot of professionals out there that are really good at creating a safe place where you can let all that out yes and- I uh listen to mel on your podcast that's the first uh, person that comes I, yes, to mind for some I, reason I, she and she'll helped, listen to this yeah oh Mel. um <laughs> she helped me a lot yeah um oh so you have spoken yes, to her about the I monster have, I, I, I've, I've been so relieved mel. that you said that yes i um i got to the point where i said to my friend um i think i need help and she was like i think you do too and i think that's <laughs> like and i was okay i i I, I eat well, I sleep well, I was um, exercising, so I wasn't shut up in a dark room crying into my pillow. I mean, I, I cried myself to sleep for probably six months. The mum was alive and then for six months after it, um, and that's really taxing. But, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to land in, in Mel's hands and, and she was really helpful. Yeah. Excellent. And so do you sort of continue to see her or is it just something that you sort of did as a, as a one-off and I, she's given I, you a few tools? Or Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, she, I, I, don't, I don't see her anymore um, because it's, I'm really black and white so I understand that my mum's gone and I understand that she's not coming back and that there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but... Yeah, Mel was really helpful in, in learning how to deal with grief because you don't it, – it never lessens. It never goes away. You just – you learn to live with it. Mm. Yeah, yep. you really do. And there's no um, no manual on it either. Like I know, you know, speaking to, to my family recently mm-hmm. too, like we're, we're probably similar to you in a little way. Like we've just sort of got on with things and for that yep. we sort of feel a little bit guilty. Like, you that know – you don't have any other choice. Yeah. I, um, I've been through – I've been – Angry, frustrated, furious, sad, just everything. You just go through it. Why me? Why my mum? Why not somebody that's done really bad things? Mm. Like my mum was a really good person. Yeah. Why? Why her? Um, so I've been through all that, and it's not. It's not fair to wish what happened to my mum onto anybody else, and and I don't do that anymore. But in the first couple of months, I was so angry. Why does that person get their mum? Why can't I have mine? And that was um, that was just a really steep learning curve because my mum would my mum would be furious at me for thinking that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, just from from your own experience and obviously, you know, dealing with Mel and that sort of thing, if there's someone out there that, that was going through something similar, what what would you say would be the the main thing that you've learnt through the experience or the main advice that you'd give give someone going through um, that? Don't be afraid to feel how you feel and it's okay to feel how you feel. Um Within reason, I mean, it's not okay to go out and cause harm to someone else because you're grieving, obviously. Seek help if you need it. Um, I don't think there's any shame in asking for help. And if you want to talk about your your lost loved one, talk about them. If you don't want to talk about them, don't talk about them. Do what feels right to you. And, and eventually you learn to, to live your life without them, as horrible as that is. I yeah. felt like for months that I was standing still and, and everybody was just going along their their daily lives. And then, like, Bo had a really good friend that lost his dad and I've had a really good friend that lost her dad nearly 12 months after my mum. So I'm not alone, but sometimes, God, you feel like you're the only person in the world yeah um but i i say just just lean on people and, and it's okay to do that absolutely yeah it's a one big thing that comes out of the pod with a lot of people that go through grief and, and tough times just talking about stuff like even the person that's listening doesn't have to be an expert just getting no. it out of your system sometimes yeah. is a really good yeah, it strategy is. isn't it yeah absolutely i know i said before last one on your mum but I'm, this is definitely gonna be the no, last one okay. i'm sorry do you still feel her around you do you feel her time. presence at all yeah all the time um I, mum was really, uh, she believed in, in all that, in, in crystals, in psychics. I don't know, people will probably roll their eyes. Um, but she believed in all that. So we grew up believing in that. Um, so I, I do, um, like on my, on our wedding day, it rained all morning and then for our ceremony, it was 20 degrees and stinking hot. Um, so I think little things like that, like people will say, yeah, it's just the weather. But to me, that was my mum being there for me on my weather, on my wedding day. When I raced, I would often get ladybugs. So before I won Devonport, I had a a ladybug crawling over my blocks and I just watched it. And, and at the time it didn't resonate with me what it was, but then I'd start seeing ladybugs when I'd be thinking of mum or trying to talk to mum and, and stuff like that. So when I went to States, um, after she'd passed away, I had a ladybug on my hand and I'd just say, hi, mum. There was a, an instance at the track, a butterfly landed on my nose and my training partner looked at me and she goes, is that your mum? And I said, <laughs> must be. <laughs> so uh, things like that, I, I, I don't brush aside. Um, but yeah, she comes to me in dreams and, and everything like that. Now I really do sound like a crazy person. No, um, I believe in all that yeah, stuff. So yeah, yeah. We could be the only two God. crazy yeah, people in Cassie. Right. Everyone else on the podcast is like, oh my God, you're yeah, two idiots. Yeah. Um, but she comes to me in dreams and, and, I, and, and smells and, and stuff like that. So she's definitely around and, and she's such a busybody. She'd just be living her best life all up in our business. Yep. And, yeah, so <laughs> she's probably got more access to stuff yeah, now. She knows absolutely. everything that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and you touched on it there before. So the next Devonport gift that you won after um, Mum passed. Tell us about that day and how important that was. Did did you go in like with a goal to try and win it for her, or was it like 
you're just going to have a crack I mean, until I go you into go. every race wanting to win it, whether it's realistic or not. Yep. Um, but I hadn't, I don't, didn't allow myself to think about winning it because then it really would have played on the back of my mind. So I think that night they were 20 minutes or half an hour behind schedule. So we were waiting around for ages. There was a couple of athletes getting really antsy and I was just like, oh, whatever. It is what it is. We'll get out there when we get out there. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't actually too nervous going into the final. I didn't have the quickest time in the heats. And I just thought if I win it, I win it. And if I don't, I don't. Um, but as soon as I got a sniff and thought I could win it, I was going to leave everything, everything I had in, in out on that track and, and just completely burn through my tank because I had to win it for her. And, and I used to say to myself, if she can, if she can go through what she went through, then I can do this. Yep. I can run a 400 metres. It's it's not a life or death situation. Yep. Um, so she was your inspiration on the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and after I won it, I think I just went into just to shock like I, I couldn't couldn't cry couldn't couldn't react um but I was just so proud of myself that in everything that I'd gone through and, and I'd gone through with my family that I was able to still perform at that level and run in a race that I'm not I was never comfortable over the 400 meter distance it wasn't something that I enjoyed doing yep. so to win a race on such a a, a big stage nine months after my mum had passed away when I was still just in a world of pain, in a world of grief, crying myself to sleep every night still. It was a really, really big thing for me. Yeah. This episode of The Pod's proudly brought to you by J Beck Mechanical Repairs. With the ever-rising cost of living, we're all looking for ways to save a few bucks so you can spend it in the areas that you love. One area JBEC can help you is with the rising cost of fuel prices, why not remap your vehicle to gain more power and better fuel economy through their chip tuning service? Chip tuning can be done on many vehicles, including various trucks and tractors, and conditions apply. With over 30 years combined experience in small engine cars and diesel engines, Jade and his team are qualified in both diesel and petrol vehicles. They offer a mobile field service unit, including breakdown services, all mechanical repairs, engine rebuilds, as well as aircon and auto electrical services. To find out more, just find JBEC Mechanical Repairs on Facebook, email jbecinvestments at gmail.com or call or text 0492 594 058. Tell them Brendan sent you for a free cuddle and trust me that's better than a handshake because Jade's fingers will crush you. JBEC Mechanical Repairs, offering chip tuning. Unleash the power within. And so obviously talking about your journey, you talked about your training regime and, you know, training yourself to death, but obviously you, you had to have coaches through that mm-hmm. as well. So how important is that? <sighs> well, I've learned it's very important. Yep. Um, I've been in many environments over my time. Um, I've been in really good environments and I've been in a really bad environment, um, which included being called fat, um, being called selfish, being told I was a horrible person, being told that I thought I was better than everybody else, that I treated people poorly. Um, I wasn't allowed to wear my hair in a certain way. And um, I remember one day I did and I was told to get the fuck off the fucking track. And that environment for me was easier to stay in than to leave. Um, how so? You thought the repercussions would be worse if yes. you left? Yes. It was easier for me to stay in the eye of the storm than to get thrown out into the wind. Right. 
and that really affected me mentally and I I would I'd have a bad race and I would get absolutely berated and pulled over the hot coals over it I had to watch what I would say at um training I um I really like talking to people and I really like talking to people at the track yep and I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone outside of my squad yeah and if I did I would just it just wasn't worth the repercussions to do that um, which was really hard on me because I am such a social social personality in the right setting. Um, so I found that really difficult, and and just just have 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 that hyper awareness that you could say something that could set the environment off. It was really hard to. It was so draining. It just it was so draining, um, and it was just really hard. It was really hard because. You just, you didn't know how to act and you couldn't be your authentic self. And so obviously through that time then you learnt and you've obviously been in some really good environments yeah, as well. Yeah, what are, I have. What are some um, of the key things? Just to feel supported and encouraged and that a bad race isn't the end of your career or the end of people. Like just being supported is just such a huge, it makes such a huge difference to know that if you make a mistake, that's okay. Mm. If you run bad, that's okay. It doesn't make it doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah, mm. it's like any environment. If you feel that you're supported, you know, I think part of being human is making mistakes and failing and yeah. things like that. You know, you can't be you can't be scared of failure, otherwise you're not going to perform to your absolutely. To your and I got anyway. to to points like that throughout my career. I was just so afraid of failing that it, it just ate me alive. I, I'd lose sleep over it. And, and, yeah, it just, it really makes, and oh, I hate this saying, but it sounds like cliche, but you just really can't judge a book by its colour. Yeah. And and being successful behind closed doors isn't always as it seems either. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it's a bit more of a grind behind closed doors yeah. than people realise. Yeah, it taught me a lot. Um, I think you have to go through everything life doesn't throw you challenges that you're you're incapable of um dealing with so yep. i learned a lot from that time i learned how to treat people mostly yep. and and how i expected to be i expect now to be treated by people yeah mm. yeah do coaches sort of have any input into what you can eat and what weight you need to be and that sort of thing and i mean it comes with the territory you're learning when you train so hard you don't want to go home and eat a Big Mac. Yep. So your body gets used to not eating sh- junk and, and, and shit food. Um, I can't eat pastry because it gives me indigestion. Um, I'm a bit funny with lactose, so I just stay away from ice cream and, and stuff like that. Um, I love lollies. Don't really like chips and stuff. So. Yep. It's pretty easy for you um, yeah, to stay away from yeah, the nasty stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, since I've been pregnant, I've been craving chicken nuggets like they're going out of fashion. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's just like I am. Um, I'm really lucky that obviously I have such a close relationship with Billy Sharman at A One Fitness. Um, he's really helped me with my eating and 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 my gym as well. He's he's done my gym program for about two years now, um, but he's helped me realize that it's okay to eat in moderation and 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 it's okay to be like that I don't have to 
chastise myself about eating two pieces of chocolate. Yeah. I, I can do that. Yeah. Um, whereas in previous environments I've been in, um, we'd starve ourselves so our hair fell out. Yeah. 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 Did you did you find that you really thrive when you were in a um, supportive environment though? Oh, like absolutely. You, it, yeah. it completely changes. Um, I, I it, it changes every aspect of your life because you're not worried about results and you're not worried about if you didn't quite get through all the reps because you were tired or you had something else going on or you'd had a really shitty day at work. Um, they were factors that were taken into consideration in a supportive environment. Yep. So what about retirement then? So did mm. that cross your mind after you won? Was it in the back of your mind then or was it something that only just popped up recently? Uh, after I raced my last Devonport gift and I won that, I, I finished that race and I thought, if this is the last race that I ever run in my career, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'd never had that feeling before. I'd never, ever considered not being an athlete. And I could feel my body slowing down. Um, I, I had Achilles tendonitis earlier in the year and, and things like that. I, I could feel that my body just was needed a little bit of extra attention. So... Mentally, I think I can still run eleven five. I can't. Yeah. But if you ask me, I could try. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it just came naturally, and I don't know why, but it, my whole career, I just thought when I hit thirty, and I'm I'm thirty one this year, that's it for me. And I decided that when I was twenty twenty one. Yeah. And I yeah, it just it just organically came to an end for me. I was ready. Um, Bo and I just got married. Um, my perspective changed a lot with mum. Made me realise there's a lot more to life than sport and athletics. And, and my whole de- identity wasn't wrapped up in me being an athlete. Athletics is just something that I do. Yep. So uh, that was a realisation that I had after mum passed away as well. And yeah, it was just a really... I mean, I'm going to... I'm so competitive by nature. Um that I'm going to have to channel that energy into something else. I mean, I'll probably be down at the mall challenging people to thumb wars or something <laughs> like that just to get it out. Yeah. Um, There's but... plenty of other sports that probably aren't quite as hard <laughs> yeah. on you. Yeah. But I'm no good at them. I can't catch yeah. or throw. Yep. Um, you so... might have to be a gamer like all the kids are <laughs> yeah. these days. You take it a bit of competition there. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll find something to channel that energy into. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it was just a natural thing for me in the end. And what do you think you'll find, like, apart from not being able to compete against people, is there anything else that you think you'll find difficult about retirement? Is there anything that sort of scares you about it at all? Not scares me as much, but as I said, I still think I can run 11.58 and 57 my PB. Um, But I can't, and I I absolutely adore athletics, and I love it, and I hope hope that one day someone does break my record because that means there's a girl out there that loves it just as much as I do. Yeah. And that, to me, is a win in itself. Yep. Um, so I will find being away from competition the hardest. Yeah. Mm. Do you reckon you'll get into coaching yourself? Do you feel like that might be a passion to, like you say, to, to, to get a young girl to break your yeah. record? Would you take pride in actually helping them do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Remembering that nobody can give 110% like you. You've yeah. got to, they can't be as crazy <laughs> well, as you are. This girl could give 120% and run 11-2. <laughs> she's my girl. Yeah, the other one. That's the one girl. I want. Um, look, it's, it's not something that I would do soon. Um, obviously impending first baby, um, 
I feel like coaching is something that you have to give 110% to. And I see that in my husband. He, he spends countless hours just with football and our honeymoon was the first time that he's really had a break from it over yep. a couple of years because we were in a different country in different time zones. Yep. Playing that um, well. So I was, <laughs> yeah, it was harder <laughs> to get in touch with him. Yeah. Um, but I see how much time he puts into it and I don't think that it would be fair for me to coach someone until I had that time to put in to them. Yeah. Um, so it's not a no. It's not a yes. It's just a not right now. Yep. Yep, maybe down the track. Yeah. Yep. Now, you've touched on your PB there before. So mm-hmm. you're, you hold the record 11.58 <laughs> seconds, yes. but your PB is 11.57, yes. but that doesn't count, does it? No. Tell us about that. Uh, so I ran the 11.57 with the boys in a mixed race yep. at Penguin, just a random sad day. I had no idea I was going to run that fast. Absolutely none. Um, but because there wasn't a lane in between us, it technically doesn't count yep. as the state record right um it's actually it's yeah <laughs> it's listed above the state record in like an italics and elastic saying mix <laughs> this did happen yeah Just this in happened, case you're wondering you can't claim it um so my official record's 1158 but my pb is 1157 and that is something that'll work me until the day i die <laughs> Just my competitive inner self's just gone, oh, why couldn't you just run that little bit faster in yeah. that 58 race? They but, have... I mean, I'm grateful to have the record anyway. Absolutely. So, um, but, yeah, because that was running a mixed race, it doesn't count. Yeah. Mm. Um, last one on athletics. What advice would you give young athletes today that want to get into it? Get into an environment that suits you. Get into an environment that's supportive. And if you're in an environment that doesn't assist you, don't be afraid to leave it because I wish I left mine. Last one, motherhood. Mm. What kind of parents do you think you guys are going to be? Oh, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to know. I don't know. It's. I mean, I sleep from 9.30 to 6.30, 7 o'clock every day. I'm not going to get that when this baby comes. <laughs> no. So I don't really know what sort of person I'm going to turn into. <laughs> You'll um, adapt, I'm sure. Yeah, no, like... I just want her to be happy and I want her to not... Like, my parents didn't pressure me into anything. If I wanted to do it, I did it. And if I didn't want to do it, I didn't have to do it. And that was really big for me. And if she if she does go into athletics, um, I'll be just as proud as her, her if she runs dead last as if she runs first. Yep. And that's how my mum was and that's how I want to be. Um, I think Bo's going to be a really loving dad and he's really excited to have a little girl um as is billy sharman i i I think they think it's their child and and that's it's no one else's (laughs) um so i i just want to encourage her and let her feel like she can do anything she wants and be anything she wants to be excellent we answer my next question what do you hope for your bub so you just hope that she can do and be i just hope she's happy in everything that she does yep that's a good one um what did you learn from your own parents that you think that you'll take into your journey just the unconditional love and support it didn't matter to them if i still ran and i was i came last and everything and all the carnivals my mum would have still been there in those stands cheering for me she still would have sat the six hours waiting for me to run 15 seconds and that's really important that was really important to me and and that'll be really important for me to pass on to my child fantastic Last question, what's the best piece of advice that you've received along the journey and who did it come from? Just... Well, this is a second-hand piece of advice. So I've They're already... the best ones. You can claim yeah, it, though. Okay. 
I've already touched um, on the fact that mum and I never spoke about her being unwell or, or her dying. Um, and I was talking to dad after she had passed away and, and he said to me, the one, the only thing your mother ever, ever said to me was she wished she hadn't sweat the small stuff. So I take that in, into my everyday life. Um, I can guarantee my mum didn't care what people were posting on Instagram in the last six months of her life. So why should I care now? Yep. If it's not going to worry me tomorrow, if it's not going to worry me next week, let it go. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's great advice moving forward. And obviously, you know, over the next few years, there'll be lots of little small stuff learned about the house and that oh, sort of yeah. thing. So <laughs> you'll quickly learn not to sweat. As long as, long as you like, keep this little human alive, yeah, that's the main that's thing. Yeah, that's all that matters. I'm like, don't sweat the salt off. It'll just be my mantra that I repeat. Um, but obviously, because that come from my own mum when she was dying, it, it it's holds a heavy weight for me. Um, but yeah, there, there's just so much things that you can get caught up in the world with now, especially on social media. Mm. Just let it go. It's just a whirlpool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. let it go. Like, I, I take a step back from it sometimes. And I just think, no, I can't deal with this today. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I say, you'll have a lot more on your plate soon, so you'll have a yeah. lot more stuff to, to focus on. But I really, really appreciate you coming in, Morgan. And Thank thanks. You. It's been really nice sort of talking through your career. And I've learnt plenty about athletics. As I said, I didn't know a hell of a lot about it before. But Oh, you're a pro now. I'll oh, see yeah. you down the Cardinals next year I'll be, the next, I'll be the next coach. Look out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really, really good. And, you know, I think, you know, I know that you're proud of your career. You don't like talking about it, but you should be proud of your career, you know, because it's fantastic. And I think, you know, obviously your story and, you know, the way that you conduct yourself is inspirational for a lot of young people coming through. And I think there's a lot of great messages that have come out of that chat. And, you know, if you give 110% into motherhood, like you did in your your career, I (laughs) I don't know any other way. (laughs) You'll be be super mum. You'll be doing really well. So yeah, wish you and Bo all the best with, with your future and yeah, might see you at the track um, getting someone to break that record. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't, I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be right. All the best for them, mate. All right, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Pleasure. Really enjoyed this chat with Morgan. What a phenomenal mindset she's got and a fantastic attitude. As she said, she always gave 110% and it's no fluke that she got to where she got in her in her athletics career. I think it's also a really good reminder that uh, people that get to these heights in, uh, in any field, there's always a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't know about and a lot of sacrifices and a lot of uh, mental challenges, physical challenges and uh, yeah, just the toughness to push through those things I think is pretty inspirational. As Morgan said, she's on to the next chapter of her life now and uh, no doubt uh, with her mindset and uh, and her application and efforts that she puts into every aspect of her life she's going to be a phenomenal mother as well and uh, she's going to really enjoy this phase of her life and uh, and I love the part when she said that uh, she hopes one day that another young lady is good enough to break her record because uh, she'd really take a lot of heart in that because it means that young lady loved athletics as much as she did. 